Amen. You ready to go to the beach today? Amen. Amen. Yeah, we've got a good-looking hospitality team out there, all dressed in their best beach apparel. All part of our new series we're beginning today. Thank you, Phil Lynch, for that. That's awesome. Very good. Just giving a wave of uh, amening there. Hey, uh, yeah, so we're beginning a brand new series today, Beach Faith. I'm going to get into that in just a minute. I want to say this, though. What the words of that song were saying are true. Miracles can happen here today because the Spirit of the Lord is here. Amen? We've not gathered here just to carry on some religious routine that we do. We are gathered here because we believe the Spirit of God meets with us in a unique way when we gather together as the people of God. Amen? When you open His Word and His Spirit shows up, which He is here, by the way, and we open our hearts to what He has for us, miracles can happen. Things that you think could never come to pass can happen in a blink. So be ready today for God's miracle to happen. Amen? Amen. So I was doing some reading and I found out that every year in America, 59 million people go to the beach for a vacation. That's a lot of people that go to the beach. Some beach somewhere in America, they go for vacation. And that of all vacation destinations, the beach is the place that people prefer over the mountain areas or any other place. The beach is the place that people like to go. And I can understand that. We just got back from a trip to the beach. We were there for a couple of days, and it was awesome. Taylor was our vacation planner for our trip, found a perfect beach, perfect house, the whole family to go stay in. It was kind of in this secluded area in a place called Seacrest, Florida. Now, it was way out of our league because it was like upper-class condos and all this kind of stuff. And here we were from Ovilla, staying in this really nice house. I'm not sure how that happened, but we were there. And you kind of had to make your way over to where you went to the beach. It wasn't this area that was like, you know, restaurants and shops and people everywhere. It was like a secluded area. In fact, when you drove down the road, all you saw were the condos. You couldn't really see the beach. But they told us if you're in this area, if you're staying in this area... Here's how you get to the beach. And so they said there's a a small boardwalk that will take you between the condos, and you'll look for this little sign, and that's all you'll see. There's no public parking. There's not a lot of people there. You go to this sign, and you go to the beach down the boardwalk. So, I mean, we can't even see the beach anywhere because of these condos. So we make our way down there, walk along carrying all of our stuff, And we get to this one spot, find the boardwalk, turn, start walking down the boardwalk, and there's this moment. There's this moment when you get past all the buildings, you get past all the people, and all of a sudden, it's just, it's just there, and it's expanse, and it was beautiful. It's kind of one of those picture-perfect beach moments, you know? The sky's blue, the beach is, you know, clean, the sand is white, the water's clear, and there's not a lot of people there. And it was one of these epic moments where you just walk out like, (laughs) and you just take it all in. We had to go down this straight and narrow path, but then we found our way to something that was glorious. Amen? Amen. You know what I'm talking about? So, you know what I'm talking about? Straight and narrow path, find something glorious? Yeah. Wow. Come on now. It's okay to say amen in this place. Remember? It's okay to be a little vocal, encouraging, because you never know who next to you needs a little bit of encouragement, and your amen may be just the thing they need to see that, hey, the Spirit of God really is in this place. Amen? Amen. Thank you very much, very much. So 
We came to this place there on the beach, and it was a place of rest, really. It was just beautiful. So we went out, and we'd hang out in the water and just, just kind of sit there and enjoy it. We let the waves carry us around. Some were sitting on the sand. Some were out in the water. And we truly, we entered into ultimate rest there. And the Bible says that Jesus came that we may have life. It may have it more abundant. And he gives it to us by what the Bible calls the process of grace. He just unloads it. He lavishes it. He gives it. It comes from grace. It's undeserved. We haven't measured up to it. He just lavishes it. And it's to be received in only one way. Grace can only be experienced when it's received by faith and not by works. If you try to work at it, if you try to prove you're worth it, if you try to work yourself into it, if you try to make yourself more righteous on your own, you're just working at it and you're not receiving it. And the Bible says you won't receive it if you're doing it by work because then it just becomes pay and grace doesn't come that way. It comes by faith. And you enter in, and you enter into this place of absolute rest for the soul, for all that has filled you with ache and loss and striving and fears and anger and worry. There comes rest for those who will receive it by faith. In this series, we're going to be talking about what it means to have beach faith where you truly enter into all that Jesus Christ has for us, and you rest there. Now, that's part of what happens at salvation, but I'm going to tell you, this message in this series is for every one of us, because we all have areas in our life where we are still experiencing the beauties, the wonders, the depths of what's ours in Jesus Christ. Amen? We are. And so the way you enter into that is through faith and rest. And it's something that's not natural for us. And there's something about us as 21st century Americans that makes it, I think, even more difficult. And there's going to be a wrestling point as we go through this whole series where you're going to wrestle with what feels so natural to you as 21st century American human being and child of God. And we're going to learn this process of entering into rest. Let me give you a statement that we're going to hang on to throughout this whole series. Here it is. Real life in Jesus begins when we come to the end of our labor and enter into his rest. Real life. I'm talking about life beyond what you and I are experiencing today. Life where things that are seemingly impossible begin to happen. Where relationships that you thought were irreconcilable become healed and mended, where life that you thought had reached a dead-end street becomes redeemed and used by God in ways that you could have never imagined, when the struggles and addictions that you've held on to and you can't, find, seem to way, can't seem to find a way out of them, all of a sudden they come to a place where they break loose and you find real freedom in Jesus Christ. That's where we're headed in this series and into so much more. And let me tell you, no amount of self-effort on your part, work, will get you to that place. It will be contrary to all you can know and feel, but you'll have to enter into it by a place of rest and faith. 
And there you'll find contentment you've never known before. There you'll find love you've never experienced before. There you'll find deeper meaning in life than you know today. There you'll find greater security, purpose, forgiveness, and peace with God than you have ever experienced in your life. Here's our points today. Number one, God created rest. In the opening pages of Scripture, we find God working. Genesis chapter 1 describes the first, what we know of now as the days of creation. And in each of those in Genesis 1, it describes what God did, what he worked, what he was accomplishing. And you get to, get to the end of chapter 1, and it says, Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the first, I'm sorry, were the sixth day. The evening and the morning. That really is important in Bible study, if you've ever thought about that. We tend to think of a day as morning and evening, but the Bible counts it opposite evening and morning. Just tuck that away for another day. You get to Genesis chapter 2, verse 1, and it says this. Thus, the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. Finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Have you ever wondered, why did God need to rest? Now, the Bible says in Isaiah, it says, Have you not heard that the everlasting God, Jehovah, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not grow weak or weary? You see, God does not tire. He does not expend himself and say, Whew, wow, what a day. Man, Sunday is a rough day for me. I mean, worship all over the place, answering prayers and helping people out, you know, meeting their needs and helping them grow. Whew, I'm going to have to take Monday off. It doesn't happen that way. God does not grow weary. Yet here we have in Genesis, in the opening pages of Scripture, God resting from his work. Verse 2. I'm sorry, 3. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. God takes the seventh day and he blesses it, but it also says he sanctified it. He set it apart. He makes it different than the other days. He calls it holy. He blesses it in a unique way. And I know you probably thought, well, this just really shows us the importance of taking one day a week and resting before the Lord. And that would be true. But I believe there's so much more here in this passage than just that. God doesn't take eternity and create it in six days and then give us the seventh day just so he would cause us to sit back and say, whew, well, I'm tired. I had a rough week. I better rest. There's so much more here for us, folks. I know we read Genesis 1 and it tells us what happened in the days of creation. It tells us he made the planet, he made the universe, he made the stars, he made the heavens, and he made the animals, and he made man, and he made woman. All this happens. But you know what else the Bible says happens before the seventh day? The Bible says that before the foundations of the world, Jesus was slain. Hmm. 
Before you get to day seven, Jesus has in eternity already been born, lived, died, crucified, put in a grave, resurrected, and is living again. That's what the Bible says. Before the foundations of the world, he was slain. Before the foundations of the world, those who would come to faith in Jesus Christ were chosen. The Bible says that. The Bible even says in the Gospels that the prophets who would be killed for the sake of Christ, that they were actually slain before the foundations of the world. Oh, we're getting a bigger picture all of a sudden of what's happening before day seven, right? Are you with me still? In Psalm 139, David's talking about the wonders of God and how he made him and so forth. And it says, David said, my days were fashioned and formed when as yet there were none of them before the foundations of the world. Guess what? Your life was prepared, planned, chosen before the foundations of the world. So when God gets to day six, the work is totally and completely finished. Your sin had actually been paid for then. Come on now, you just take all this in with me. Stay up because we got a long way to go this morning. And you have to stay with me. Before the foundations of the world, Jesus had already been slain. Your sin had already been paid for. The work had been done before the foundations of the world. So when God comes to day seven and he rests, you might think, boy, now I can see why he was so tired. He wasn't. Our God never grows weary. But he was establishing something wondrous. He was establishing not just a day, He was establishing a place inside himself where there would be absolute completed rest. The work was complete, finished, done. Mm, Hold on to all that. We got some ground to make up this morning. He wasn't just creating a planet. He was creating a place in himself of completed work. And rest. Hold on to that because you see, as the scriptures unfold, God not only created this place, but He commanded rest. You keep walking through the Old Testament and we find God giving commands to His people. And He commands an actual day of rest. Check it out. The, the day is called the Sabbath. In Exodus 22, it says this as part of the Ten Commandments Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor. And do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. So God establishes a law for them. You can work in six days, but on the seventh day, you are to keep it holy. Because it is the Sabbath of who? The Lord's. He didn't say it was the Sabbath of man. He says, I'm creating this day of rest because it's, It's my day. He was saying, I own it, I possess it, but he was also saying, this is my place. And I'm showing you, here's where real life is. Yes, you're going to work six days, but I'm going to tell you, the place of really knowing me is on the seventh day. I've, I've hallowed it. I've sanctified it. I've set it apart. It's a Sabbath day. Keep it holy. He goes on in the passage and he says, in it, You shall do no work. 
You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and hallowed it. God wasn't making a day just for you and I to be physically rejuvenated. He was making a day for us to always remember that the work in him is done. That it's finished. And that in him is a place of rest. This is why he gave Sabbath. And no one was to work on that day. No one was to exert energy on that day. Because God says, when you come to me, it's not by your works. It's by faith. You come by rest in me. Amen? Are you with me? Hello? All right. So he, he sets aside this day, this place. It shows us his heart. It's the seventh day. And the people of God practice this, this law. Six days we work, seventh day we rest. Six days we work, seventh day we rest. And this just goes on every week. It becomes the practice. It becomes the way that they live. And it was always intended that in this order, that it really wasn't for the people. It was for God. It was for them to see what's in Him. Rest in Him. Well, the Scripture goes on, and, and God gives another day another day of rest. And this day falls on a Sabbath, but it's not called the Sabbath. This next day is called the Day of Jubilee. Now, Jubilee is a word that means trumpet or ram's horn. And on this day, a priest would stand outside and he would blow the ram's horn to declare, this is the day of Jubilee. You've had Sabbaths, but we're about to have Jubilee. You've had a day that followed six days, and we've done that for weeks and weeks and weeks, but we're about to have Jubilee. And Jubilee is different because Jubilee lasts an entire year. Let me read to you what Scripture says. Follow me on, scre on the screen here. And you shall count seven Sabbaths of years for yourself. Seven times seven years. So you're doing this Sabbath plan process every week, all year long, and you get to the end of the first year, second year, third year, fourth year, fifth year. You're still doing it sixth year, and you get to the seventh year. Seven years. Seven weeks. And he says, and the time of the seven Sabbaths shall be to you 49 years. 49 years pass. And then, look what happens. Verse 9. Then you shall cause the trumpet of the Jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement, you shall make the trumpet to sound throughout all your land. Blow the trumpet, verse 10. And you shall consecrate the 50th year, the 50th year 
and proclaim liberty throughout all the land to its inhabitants. You see, this year is about to be different. We've had Sabbaths, but we're about to have Jubilee. Jubilee is much longer. Jubilee is bigger. And watch what it says. It shall be a Jubilee for you, and each of you shall return to his possessions, and each of you shall return to his family. Let me see how much further I want to go with this. One more, one more screen. That 50th year shall be a jubilee to you. In it you shall neither sow nor reap what grows of its own accord and gather the grapes of your untended vine, for it is the jubilee. It shall be holy to you. You shall eat its produce from the field. And the last piece, and then I'm going to describe to you this, this jubilee. For it is the jubilee, it shall be holy to you. You see, in the Jubilee, if we went on and looked at the rest of the passage, there's a very lengthy passage there in the Old Testament about what the Jubilee was. The Jubilee was different than the Sabbath. In that the Jubilee period came, anyone who had become a slave during that time. For example, you know how you and I today, uh, if we kind of don't have enough money, we might decide to use a credit card and go in debt. We might take a loan out and get a debt. Back in this time, if you took a debt out, you became a slave of that man who gave you the money. You became a slave. It's not like today. You just keep adding on the credit card, adding on the credit card. Think you're going to pay it off. Think you're going to pay it off. The interest keeps building. Interest keeps building. I can say all that because I've done all that. <laughs> Praise God. He delivered my wife and I from all that stuff. Another story for another day. But for those who had become slaves, those who had basically run out of their ability to provide for themselves, so they became a slave of someone else during that time. When you hit the year of Jubilee, you were set free. How about that? Credit card paid off. Now, I'm telling you, it's not like today. You, you wouldn't go out and say, hey, you know what? Jubilee's coming in two weeks. Let's go run up the credit card bill and get a bunch of stuff, you know. You wouldn't do it back in that day because you would have become a slave of someone. You don't get to just keep living in your house and all your plush stuff and your credit card bill just ranking up. No, you become a slave of someone. But God said, when the year of Jubilee comes, you are going to set the captives free. Those who have been slaves, those who have been indebted, those who have lost possessions, they are going to be restored to them in the year of Jubilee. What an unusual social order, right? That just seems hard for us to imagine. That on the 50th year, your debts are paid. Those who are poor are restored to what they had before. And the land was at rest and those who owed were cleared of their debts. It was to be a year of no work. It was to be a year of no debt. It was to be a year of setting the captives free. It was to be a year of people restored in their relationships. They could go back home. They could return to where they were. It was the year of Jubilee, and it was all God's plan. It was part of his law. It was part of his way of saying, in me, in me is a place of rest. And I want you to remember that, people. I want you to remember it by the Sabbath, and I want you to remember it in the 50th year. I want you to get the bigger picture of it, because then people are restored. People are set free. It was part of God's law. It was the process. Can you imagine being a slave in that time because you had some loss happen? I don't know what it was. Maybe you made some bad financial decisions, and you ended up having to 
sell your house, sell your car, sell your camel, whatever it was in that day, and you, had to, you sold it all, you didn't have anything left, and then you had to become a slave yourself. You had to leave your wife and kids, and you had to go work. You didn't come home at night to see them. You stayed a slave. And people are living in these desperate situations, and there's no rest in their soul. It's difficult. It's hard. You're away from family. You're a slave. You're indebted. All this is happening. But all of a sudden, one day, you hadn't been keeping a calendar. You hadn't checked your, your iPad in forever. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you hear, you think, that's the Jubilee horn. That's the sound of Jubilee. We're, we're free. We can go home now. We can be restored. Our debts have been paid. We can go home. We've had our poverty ended. We've had our life restored. We're not poor. We're not in debt. We've been set free. I'm coming home, honey. Yeah. That'd be a good thing, everybody. Yeah. Amen? Is it because it's so weird we're not really excited about that? <laughs> it's kind of weird, right? But it's what God set up. And it was all for us to see. For his people to see, this is who I am. I am a God who has completed his work in himself. And when you enter into me, there's rest. There's freedom from your debt. I'm talking about the debt of sin. I'm talking about your past. I'm talking about your struggles. I'm talking about that thing that just weighs you down, that past that you keep thinking about. I'm talking about that stress that weighs on you. I'm talking about that work that you can't seem to to get enough of to pay for the things you've got. I'm talking about all that kind of stuff. And God says, there's a place of rest in me. And he says, one of those places is the place of Jubilee. So you have Sabbath. You have Jubilee. One more picture today. There was a Another picture God gave his people, and it was the promised land was also a place and a picture of rest. You see, when you read through Scripture, you find that the people of God were slaves in Egypt, and they were put to forced labor, and they cry out to the Lord, God, please deliver us, deliver us from this miserable existence, and they do, God does. He provides Moses to be a, a rescuer. He sends Moses in and he, and, he, and he says, I'm going to deliver my people. In fact, God says, I'm going to set you free from Egypt where you'll no longer be slaves and I'm going to bring you to a land, a land that will be my land for you, a promised land. You're going to have to obey me all along the way, though, to get to my land. And here's the deal. When you get to the land, the promised land, there... You're going to find fruit that you didn't labor for. You're going to find houses that you didn't build. You're going to see a land cultivated by others and provided for you. It will all be provided for you. It's a promised, beautiful land. And the only way you're going to get there is by following me. You see, when you and I are brought into Jesus Christ, there's fruit there that you and I have not worked for. Someone else has worked for Jesus himself. There's, there's, there's places to exist within Jesus Christ that you and I haven't worked for, but he has worked for. There, there's land and there's fruit, there's possessions, there's inheritance that he has worked for, not us. And God was setting this up, this picture this whole time. And as we know from Scripture, if you've read the story, you know that the people of God don't enter in. 
In fact, they don't believe that God really could deliver them from their enemies. They don't, they don't believe that God really could protect them and lead them and provide this place for them. And they're disobedient. And you read over in the book of Psalms and it says this. It says, for 40 years I was grieved with this generation and said, it is a people who go astray in their hearts and they have not known my ways. Listen to this. To whom I swore in my wrath that they should not enter into my what? Rest. That's right. It doesn't say that they should not enter into my land. He said, they shall not enter into my rest. Oh, the land was just a picture of rest. When we enter into what God has for us, it's a place of rest. And God is jealous for us to enter into it, to experience all that's ours. And when you don't, you end up like that generation. When you don't believe that God really can defeat your enemies, when you don't believe that God can really provide for your needs, when you don't believe that he really has made you righteous in Jesus Christ, when you don't believe that he really has forgiven you of all your sins, then you will do yourself effort to try to make all that stuff happen on your own. Are you with me? You end up saying, well, I've got to feel significant about my life, so I've got to make sure I work and please my boss. And so you end up overworking. You end up working far more than you should, neglecting your family, neglecting your kids, running up bills. You have no business running up because you got your priorities all out of whack because you don't know rest in Jesus Christ. Are you with me? You see, you start chasing after stuff to find your rest, you'll end up at a place where you're just frantic. You'll be stressed all the time. You'll, when you come home, you'll work, you'll sleep. You'll work, you'll sleep. And your kids are just, and your family are just looking at you coming and going. You're not spending any time with them. You're not investing in them. You're not loving them. Because you're so consumed with trying to find your purpose and your identity and your worth because you haven't rested in it in Jesus Christ. That's what happens. When you don't rest, you'll keep working for something. You'll keep stressing You'll start seeking after things that you got no business seeking after. You'll start finding yourselves in places that you got no business being a part of because there's this, this thirst inside. You're looking for something. You end up in the bars. You end up bringing stuff home you shouldn't be bringing home. You end up drinking far more than you should have. You end up working far more than you should have. You end up looking at stuff you have no business looking at. And listen to me carefully. Those things, whatever they might be, whether it's alcohol, pornography, whatever, drugs, overworking, please hear me out. The thing is not as much the issue as the thirst in your heart. Yes, those things are wrong, but it's the heart that's not satisfied and at rest that runs to them. So here at Vertical Church, what we long to do is help people see that everything that they long for is found in Jesus Christ. You're not going to educate somebody to all the evils of alcohol and that cause them to stop 
what changes someone is when they experience the wonders that are in Jesus Christ and they choose that over that stuff. The New Testament says it this way, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You turn somebody on to the beauty and the wonders and the joy that are in Jesus Christ and help them find rest for their soul there, they won't be running into all that other stuff. You hear me? Amen? God has always had a place of rest. So we come to the New Testament and time has passed and the people of God have sometimes kept Sabbath, most of the time not. There's no actual account that they ever kept Jubilee. You can go look, chase it down, study the history. Maybe they did, there's no record of it. So when Jesus steps on the scene, he comes to a people who really don't know rest in him. So he begins his public ministry with some powerful words. Look at this from Luke chapter 4. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on what? The Sabbath day. Mm. Jesus is keeping the Sabbath. He's coming and he goes in to the synagogue on this day. And he stands up there to read. He's handed a scroll. And Jesus begins to read. Look what it says, verse 17. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Jesus chooses this spot intentionally. This is not random, oh, where do I want to read my Bible today? Here. That's not what this is. Intentional plan of Jesus. Verse 18. Here's what he says. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of the sight of the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. What year is Jesus talking about? He's talking about Jubilee. Jesus says, I have come. And I have come to announce today. Today is the time of the acceptable year of the Lord. It's a time when captives are set free. And it was beginning on this day that Jesus began his ministry. It was the period of Jubilee. And Jesus puts himself in the place as the one who is the answer to the Jubilee. He's the fulfillment of the Jubilee. He said here, Go back one verse for us. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to those who were in danger of losing all they had, to those who were in danger of having to become a slave, to those who had nothing. Jesus comes with good news, good news. He wasn't talking about just the financially poor. He was talking to the poor who couldn't find a way to offload their sin 
who couldn't find a way to get past their guilt, who couldn't find a way to offload all this shame from their past, who couldn't find a way to pay off this debt that they had in their head because they kept remembering their sin, they kept remembering their failures, they kept remembering what they had done wrong and what had separated them. And Jesus comes and says, this is now the acceptable year of the Lord. I've got good news for those who are poor. Amen? Come on, y'all, this is good news, he says. Good news to the poor. You don't have to walk around with your sin hanging over you anymore. You don't have to keep living with the guilt anymore. You don't have to pay it back. You don't have to try to work at being good enough to earn it. Let me just ask a question. I'm not sure we're connecting here. Does anybody in this room ever have the issue of an old sin creeping up and replaying like a bad tape in your head. Okay, look around, folks. You're not alone. All right, thank you. The next thing that happens when that tape starts to play is we want to find some way to justify, pay off, or convince ourselves we've been better since then. Right? And Jesus comes with a radical message and says, I've got good news for you. That thing, that debt, that bad tape, it's going to be paid for me, from me, Jesus says. He says, I'm going to take it on me. I've got good news for you. I'm going to set you free from it. I'm going to release you from it. That's good news. It's to the poor. It's also to the brokenhearted, to those who have their sin that weigh on them. And they, they see all that's happened since then. They see the broken relationships. They see the pain. They see the regret. They see the heartache. And that's all that they kind of live in. They just live in all their past. They just live in all that happened to them. They live replaying the tape and all the emotions that come with it. They just live in all of that. And Jesus says, I've come to heal all that junk. Because see, when that tape keeps playing in your head, it not only messes with your memories and your emotion, it actually begins to affect your physical body. It does. You find somebody who's plagued with guilt, I can almost promise you they're plagued with some physical issues as well. It works that way. People who have become angry and bitter over time, and some years have passed, just look at their faces. You'll see it. The scowl has begun to form. The lips have begun to purr like this. And you just see it in them. It just, it's there. And they don't even realize it. It's become part of them. Their pain has become them. And Jesus says, I've come to set all that stuff. I've come to heal you from that. You don't have to bear that anymore. It's the year of Jubilee. So it's the poor. It's the brokenhearted. It's also those who are captives, those who've sold themselves over. They didn't have the rest that they needed, so they gave themselves to some thing, some preoccupied sin, some addiction, and they're caught up in it. And they thought it was going to help them, and it actually felt good for a while. 
their, their fears and their anxieties got their mind into a, a mess. And there's something about the drug. There's something about the, the alcohol. There's something about overworking. There's something about pornography. There's something about comparison. There's something about going certain places that for a little while gives you a little bit of resolve, but it's never enough. In fact, it only makes it worse. And Jesus says, I've come to set captives free. You don't have to keep running to that mess anymore. I've come to free you to a place of rest in your heart and soul that you've never even experienced before. He says, I've come for the blind, those who can't see God at work in their lives, those who just see darkness right now, those who just see emptiness, those who just see confusion. I've come to set them free. I've come to help them see. And to those who are oppressed, to those who have been burdened down and they're weighed down with the voices of fear. That's all they hear. They're oppressed by it. Those who are weighed down by the voices of oppression, to those who are weighed down by the voices of bitterness and resentment and comparison, all of those things, Jesus says, I have come. This is the year of Jubilee. You're about to be set free from all those things. I'm announcing that this is the day of the Lord's favor. That's what Jesus said he was coming to do. Y'all taking all that in? What Jesus was doing that day was blowing a trumpet of freedom. He was announcing jubilee. The only thing about this jubilee that was going to be a little bit different was, see, in the Old Testament law, the jubilee lasted a year, and then it was back to the same old thing. It was back to six days work, one day Sabbath. Six days work, one day Sabbath. It was back to taking sacrifices to the temple to bring to the priest to pay for your sin. It was about doing that over and over and over again. It was about bringing sacrifices for your sin over and over again. The priest did their work. You brought your sacrifices over and over and over again until Jesus shows up. And John the Baptist says, Behold, the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus comes and he offers himself once. Once. And it satisfies forever. The wrath, the judgment of God. And it announces this is the day of real atonement. This is now Jubilee in effect. This is the time of freedom. Amen. Amen. We wrap up with another passage. In case you haven't noticed, we really walked through the scripture this morning pretty quickly, pretty briskly on a very similar theme there's one more place that rest is mentioned. It, it may be in some ways the most profound. It's in the book of Hebrews. And there, the writer takes all that was the old and he makes it new for us. He shows how Jesus is the fulfillment and he makes a way for us to enter into this rest. Look at Hebrews 4, 9 and 10. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God for he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his work as God did from his mm, let's put it all together here for us watch this there remains a rest for the people of God all throughout the New Testament, the word rest is used in different locations, and it usually means to do just that, to just rest. The word here in this verse is different. It's only used one time in the New Testament. 
And it is a reference to the word Sabbath. And one of the ways it describes it is that this is a Sabbatism. Let me break that down for you. Those who enter in, he says, he says there remains a, a Sabbath. A Sabbath that is not a day long. A Sabbath that is not a week long. A Sabbath that is not a year long. It's a Sabbath that goes on forever. And those who enter into Jesus Christ enter into this permanent Sabbath of completed rest. And he who has entered this rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. See, it all goes back to that initial passage in Genesis. God longs for you and I to enter into a place of rest, a place that's in himself, where we cease from our labors, where I stop trying to get God to somehow smile on me. But I believe that he has smiled on me in Jesus Christ. A place where I stop trying to somehow work off my sin, but believe that he has worked to pay for my sin already in Jesus Christ. Watch this. A place where I stop trying to be righteous enough, but believe that he has given me his own righteousness in Jesus Christ. That is a place of rest. That's a rest for your soul. And I'm going to tell you, when you and I begin to experience this kind of rest, this kind of faith, this kind of beach faith, and it takes place in your soul, it will ramp up activity in your life like you have never imagined before. Oh, you'll rest in here, but the energy that comes out here, you will not be able to contain. All of a sudden, you'll be passionate for helping others come to know this rest. You'll say, what can I do to serve the Lord? What can I do to help people? Tell me what I can do down there at the church to help some folks. I want to help, I want to help others come to know this peace I've got in Jesus Christ. You won't go home at the end of the day and think, oh, I just want to get away from people. Oh. You'll be looking for ways to find how can I serve the Lord? You'll start having ideas come into your mind. You'll start getting creative. You'll start writing songs. You'll start writing poetry. You'll start writing lessons. You'll start coming up with ideas for ministry. You'll start having all kinds of new things come alive in you because you found rest for your soul in Christ. Amen? Amen. Our last verse is this today. Let us, therefore, be diligent to enter that rest. You see, we're about to embark on a spiritual journey over the weeks ahead. And I, I can tell you already, it's going to be a spiritual journey fraught with some warfare. Because the last thing the enemy wants is for you to find a place of rest where you truly believe you're loved, accepted, cared for, have purpose, identity, strength, have forgiveness and righteousness and favor and blessing. The enemy doesn't want you to know that, but God does. And greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. So we're going to win this warfare, folks. We're going to walk through this journey, and we're going to be diligent. We're going to work at resting. Amen? 
We're going to enter in. We're going to be diligent at it. God, take me to places of rest in my life that I haven't been before. Free my mind from anxieties that I wrestle with today. Free me from relational stresses that I am not intended to have to carry. Help me rest in you. I want to live at the beach. That's where God's called us. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Would you stay with me this morning? As we come to a time of response, it's, uh, it's at this time that we, um, we do just what Scripture says. We, we're diligent to enter in. We make it real. We say, God, I'm, I'm coming today. You know the area in my life where I hadn't been at rest. But today, today, I hear your trumpet. I hear your freedom. And I'm coming to enter in. Would you bow your heads with me? I just want to ask you this today. Is there a specific area already that God is dealing with you about? An area where you've had stress and tension and you've been working and you've been striving and today God's putting his finger there and saying, I'm, I'm calling you to a place of rest. I'm calling you to something new. I'm calling you to rest in me. Would you just lift your hand if that's true? If God's speaking to you about a very specific area in your life, amen. Lots of hands, amen, amen. Amen. Let's pray together.